Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord from James 5, 13 through 20. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, it's hard to believe that we have been in this wonderful little book of the New Testament for 13 weeks. But I've been so thankful during this study of James for my own personal time as the Lord has spoken to me as we've gone through this book. And also, lots of great dialogue I've had with many of you throughout these weeks of things that, that you've noticed or times where this book has spoken to you in the past. I have really, truly enjoyed our summer with James. And as we look into the fall... This morning we bring this beautiful book to a conclusion. But I want to remind us as we come to the end of where all this started. When James talked about who these people were who were going to receive this letter, persecuted believers, most of them from a Jewish background, now having believed in Christ through faith, scattered all over the known world in all different kinds of circumstances. And James began and, and gave us an indication that many of these folks were facing difficult circumstances because he encouraged them, be strong, take joy even in your suffering because you know that when your faith is tested, it helps to produce perseverance in you. And we realized from the beginning, these are some folks that are going through some difficult circumstances. And another thing we've noted throughout this book is how practical it is that there are so many places in the Bible where scripture talks about the what and the why, what we should believe, why God does things the way he does, why he's given us his word in the way that he has. But then there are also those very practical parts that talk about not just what and why, but how. How do we put our faith into practice? And in the New Testament, James, with all of this incredible wisdom, is one of the, the, the most effective books you'll find in just giving that very practical wisdom for daily Christian living, what it looks like to live a life that is glorifying to God and honoring to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, as we live. You know, James is a unique book in the New Testament in that he only mentions Jesus by name twice. But I think we can all agree 
that throughout this letter, throughout this book, every word is honoring to Christ, and it points us to him, and what it looks like to walk in his example, and to be Christ-like in the things that we say and the things that we do. So, in James, we have covered one wise saying, one topic after another. But before we get to the last verses which we just read and conclude this morning, I want to go back just a moment to James 5.12, the verse right before our text for this morning. And this is where we ended last week, and we only discussed it a little bit. But I made mention that it's sort of hard to know. Should, should, should verse 12 go with what came before, or should it go with what we read this morning? And I think the answer is yes. I think it's meant to go with both. And what James gives us here is a reminder that if the next verses are going to become a reality in our lives, our, our integrity and our truthfulness is going to play a factor. It's going to play a part in seeing God move in our, our prayers and move in our lives. James 5.12 says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. James clearly is, is quoting from the Sermon on the Mount here. And the application we drew last week was simply that as, as we wait on the Lord, James was talking about waiting expectantly for the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we wait on the Lord, let us be so well known for our integrity and truthfulness that oaths are unnecessary. But as we look into the next verses... James now starts talking about prayer, and specifically he says, the prayers of a righteous person. And if we, as God's holy people, who have only been made righteousness through the righteousness of Christ, if we are going to live as righteous, faithful, and obedient people, it's only going to happen if our lives are grounded in truth and grounded in integrity and faithfulness and truthfulness. In other words, James was talking about this with what he had just said, but also in preparation for what we read this morning, he says, if you're going to be able to pray the prayers of a righteous person, you better be one. And you better be one who is walking and living in truth. This very well-known section on prayer, here near the end of James's letter, depends on the idea that these are not just the prayers of any person, but they are the prayers of a righteous person among God's holy people. I pray that that's who we are and who we will be, and that we will take these words to heart as we consider this incredible good news that James begins with here in verse 13, talking about prayer, that through God's power, the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. Through God's power, the prayers of righteous people, people whose lives are built on the foundation of God's truth, those prayers are powerful and they are effective. In fact, James says here, in all circumstances, whether we are in trouble, whether we're happy, whether we're sick, in all circumstances, let us call on the Lord. And when we call on the Lord, we can be confident that the Lord hears us. And maybe this is a word that you need to hear this morning. And we can be confident that the Lord is faithful. 
I hope you believe that this morning, that the Lord is faithful. But I can imagine that there may be some of us facing some things where once in a while we're tempted to call that into question. Hear it one more time. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, call upon the Lord. The Lord is faithful. And James begins by saying, is, is anyone among you in trouble? If anyone's in trouble, then let them pray. Now, if we're honest, we're pretty good about this one sometimes. We're pretty good about calling out to God when we're in trouble. What we're not good about doing is doing that as a first move, as opposed to when we have no options left. But we're good at calling upon God when we're in trouble. And maybe you, like me, have prayed something like this before. Okay, God, I know it's been a while, right? But I'm in a mess. And sometimes our prayers, when we're in trouble, they sound almost like a New Year's resolution, you know, that we make every year, but we never actually keep. And we say something like, God, I'm in trouble, I'm in a mess, and, and if you'll get me out of this, right, if you'll, if you'll bail me out of this mess that I've made, then I promise you that I'll do this, or I'll do that, or I'll be this kind of person. We're good at calling out to God when we're in trouble, not as a first option, but when we have no options left. But again, James says it doesn't matter the circumstance. In all circumstances, call out to God. And if you're in trouble, pray. Know that he hears the prayers of his righteous people. Is anyone happy? He continues. Let them sing songs of praise. Now let's be honest. As, as Baptists, this one is not always the easiest one for us. Don't get me wrong. We love to sing. We love our music, and everyone has preferences about the kind of music that they love. I do too. But when it comes to really singing out songs of praise, I mean the, the kind of singing, singing where you can't restrain yourself, you can't hold it back, you might embarrass yourself, and it's okay, but you're so filled with joy, and you're so filled with thankfulness that you can't help it. You are, you are singing and dancing with your songs of praise. We as Baptists aren't as comfortable with that as some of our other brothers and sisters in worship. But there are some exceptions. For example, some Wednesday night wander up to where our teenagers are worshiping, okay? To our student ministry. And you will see that our teenagers, they know how to sing songs of praise with joy and energy and excitement. I'm not saying it always has to be quite as wild as sometimes their worship seems to those of us who are grown-ups. But I love the way that they sing with joy. They're happy, and they sing songs of praise. When I think about a biblical example of this, I think about Acts chapter 3. And perhaps you'll be very familiar with this story from the early church. From some of the first days in the early church, when Peter and John were going to the temple. They were headed to the temple in Acts chapter 3. And think about this moment. As, as the, the, the disciples, Jesus had ascended to heaven, this was just after Pentecost, these guys really didn't know what they were doing. The only example that they had had was a really good one, Jesus, following Jesus. And so what we see early on in Acts is it's, it's as if the disciples are like, we're not exactly sure what we should do, we'll just do what he did. Which, by the way, is also a really good word. What a great way to live our lives. When in doubt, do what Jesus did live the way jesus lived 
And as Peter and John were going to the temple in Acts chapter 3, they came across a man who had been crippled from birth. And he had placed himself in a prime spot where every single day as people came and went from the temple, he begged for money. This was the only way that, that he could feed himself was, was because of the generosity of strangers. And so as Peter and John were on their way to the temple, they came across this man who had been crippled from birth and he asked them for money. And I love what, I love what Peter says in response. Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. That's what Peter says. Again, they didn't know what else to do but to do what they had seen Jesus do. And Acts 3 tells us the man jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with Peter and John into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. That's the picture. Are you happy? Then sing songs of praise. Don't be afraid to jump and sing and shout and, and dance before the Lord like David did through your joy because of what God has done for you. In all circumstances, call upon the Lord. And speaking of being sick, James continues, is any one of you sick? Then let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and to anoint them with oil, and to do all of this in the name of the Lord. This idea of, of being anointed with oil is also not necessarily the most Baptist thing to do, but it is a very biblical thing to do. In, in my 20 plus years of ministry, and in my several years here as your pastor, I've done this on multiple occasions, where someone who is sick, someone who's been given a, a, a hard diagnosis, someone who's facing really difficult health circumstances, will gather a group around them, will lay hands on them, will pray in the name of the Lord, and will anoint them with oil. You see this in multiple cases throughout Scripture. Sometimes oil was used for medicinal purposes. Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. When the Samaritan comes across the wounded man on the side of the road, as he binds his wounds... He also applies oil. So there, there is a medicinal sort of a healing quality to oil as we find it in Scripture. Oil can also be symbolic. They would use oil as a, as a reminder that God purifies us. But also they would, would use oil as a reminder that, that we are completely dependent upon God. Even so dependent upon Him that, that using oil is a signal, God, you will provide what we need to keep our lamps lit when it's cold and when it's dark symbol of God's provision and oil could also be ceremonial you see it used several times in the Old Testament as as consecration when a priest was ordained so there are all these different ways that those who heard James's letter would imagine that oil would be used but we see this in Mark chapter 6 as a specific circumstance and again if the apostles the disciples didn't know what they were doing in Acts 3. Even more was that true in Mark chapter 6. But when Jesus sent out the 12, Mark says they went out and they preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and they anointed many sick people with what? With oil. And they healed them. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to be a part of that kind of prayer time with a dear friend from our church, Terry Hobbs, who was a very, very dear friend to me and a dear friend to many of you. 
Back in May, Terry was given a very, very hard diagnosis with a very aggressive form of cancer. And within just a couple of weeks, that, that cancer began attacking him so much so that he could barely breathe. And he was in a very difficult place. And we did exactly what James writes about here. We gathered a group of trusted leaders, godly leaders in our church around Terry in his living room. We laid hands on him. We prayed that God would heal him. We prayed even as, as, as James talks about here for not only Terry's physical health, but his spiritual health. We, every single person there prayed over him. We anointed him with oil. And it was an incredible time where God's presence was so near to us. Now, I don't understand sometimes why God does things the way he does. And I don't understand why sometimes I've been a part of services like that and prayer times like that where the person has been physically healed. I, I've, I've been a part of, and some of you have too, laying hands on somebody, praying for them in the name of the Lord, anointing them with oil. And, and yes, they might receive treatment, but, but the disease goes away and their life is extended. And I've been a part of other times where we've laid hands on somebody, we've prayed over them, we've anointed them with oil, and the healing that God brings is he takes them home to be with him and, and their physical life comes to an end. And that's what happened with Terry. Terry only was with us for a few more weeks, and then the disease took his physical life. But let me tell you, in the last few weeks of Terry's illness, he lived so well. And he already had lived such a faithful life, but he lived extra faithfully in those last days and weeks. And as he really began to, to grow weaker, we started limiting in-person visits. I visited him a few times. Some of you did as well. But, but most of our communication with him was through text messages. And several of you told me you had similar experiences texting with Terry. One morning, this is just a few days before he passed away, I texted Terry and I just said, how are you doing today? And he wrote back three simple words. Weary, but worshiping. Weary, but worshiping. Again, I don't know who that might be for today. But when I saw those words and when I thought about just, just a couple of weeks after that, we were going to be coming to James chapter 5, I grabbed a hold of them and I said, the next time I'm weary, the next time I'm hurting, the next time I'm the one who's in trouble, or I'm the one who's sick, or I'm the one who's struggling, or I'm the one who's happy and content and singing songs with joy, whatever it might be, if I'm weary, I'm worshiping at the same time. And that's exactly what James is saying. No matter the circumstance, no matter where you find yourself, call upon the Lord because he is faithful. And the prayer that's offered in faith, listen, we can pray with confidence when we are walking with the Lord. Because the prayer that's offered in faith doesn't just address the physical, it, it addresses the spiritual. It brings healing to us with completeness the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well yes but also if they have sinned their sins will be forgiven the lord will raise them up i love that language the lord will raise them up which is what happened to my friend terry did the lord bring physical healing and remove the cancer from his body no not until he passed away but he rose up the lord raised him up and this promise that James gives us is more than just a promise of physical healing. Listen, 
It is the truth of the gospel. That's what Jesus Christ does for us. When we were sick, when we were dead in our sins and transgressions, he raised us up in Jesus Christ so that we might have life, we might live and not be condemned to death. And if our physical bodies fail us, if these, these movable earthly tents that we live in collapse, we've been promised an eternal home in Jesus Christ in heaven, a home not built with human hands, but a place that Jesus Christ has prepared for us personally in his Father's house, in our Father's house. And that's where we will live forever. That's where Terry is today. So we can pray with confidence because we know the Lord has forgiven us. And in Christ, we know that we will be raised to life. And therefore, James says, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you might be healed, so that you might be raised up. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If you have never written that scripture down before, if you don't have that somewhere that you can see on a regular basis, write it down, put it somewhere. It's pretty easy, James 5, 16b, right? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And he gives the example of Elijah. And I love the way James says, don't forget that Elijah was just a mere human being like us. He was a human being even as we are, but he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And then again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James is, is referring to 1 Kings 17 and 18. And, and these prayers that Elijah prayed were where God literally dried up the rain and then literally opened up the heavens so that the rain might come back were in the days of King Ahab. They were dark, difficult, hard days of suffering for Elijah. But James says, don't forget, in all circumstances, call upon the Lord because you can trust him. And even Elijah, as our example reminds us, he was just a human being like us, but God was faithful to him and God will be faithful to you. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and they are effective. James was an example of this. You may have heard of the early church historian Eusebius. If you've never heard of Eusebius, some of you are probably going to Google Eusebius. Don't do it yet. Do it later. But you can look at Eusebius later. But Eusebius was an early church historian. He lived in the days of Constantine the Great. And a good deal of what we have as our church history from the early church, and especially the generations of Christians that came after the New Testament— we find a lot of that in Eusebius. Eusebius also wrote about the early church, the disciples and the apostles. And he wrote about James. And he wrote a few things about James. I'll share one now and I'll share one at the very end this morning. But one thing he wrote about James was that he was known for being a man of prayer. In fact, some of the early Christians, his brothers and sisters, started calling him camel knees. Doesn't that sound like a nice thing for your church family to start calling you camel knees? But they called James camel knees because of the calluses that he had worn into his knees through extended hours of kneeling before the altar in the church in Jerusalem and praying for God to move in his church, to move among his people, and for the forgiveness of the sins of his brothers and sisters in Christ. James 
had extended times when people saw him living this out that he didn't just write about prayer he didn't just talk about it but he could say with confidence that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective because he had experienced them in his own life i don't know about you but the more we study this letter the more i am so thankful for our brother in christ james and the legacy and the words that he left for us and as we come to the final two verses of our summer with james james closes his letter with hope from the gospel hope from the gospel of jesus christ jesus christ is the only way to life for those who are lost or have wandered from the truth so let us bring them to him most of the letters in the new testament end with a benediction a blessing or they end with some sort of greetings back and forth james however ends with a call to action and his call to action again is believing that jesus is the only way to life for those who are lost for those who have wandered from the truth let us bring them back to him bring them back to the truth what does james mean by the truth well certainly he means the message of the gospel that jesus is the only way but he also means i believe right belief and right action together because we've seen that throughout this letter he's concluding and pulling everything together that he's he's written and the truth as he said it the wisdom that comes down from heaven the wisdom that comes from god is not just about knowing the right things it's also about doing them it's right belief and right action together if you look in your channel this morning if you go to the church website we've compiled for you a, a, a full list of all of the godly wisdom that we found in the book of james just sort of the the, the wise sayings that we've taken from this book in all five chapters. When James talks about the truth, he means the gospel, but he also means these things. This incredible wisdom that we've found throughout this letter that speaks to so many different areas of the Christian life and the way we walk with God. Think about some of these, these nuggets of wisdom we found in this, this letter as we've studied this summer. He begins in chapter one, suffering produces perseverance and maturity godly wisdom teaches us to hold loosely those things which are soon to pass away temptation comes not from god but from our sinful desires and our sin leads to death true godly wisdom makes us teachable patient and forgiving god's word brings life in and through us when we do what it says faith alone if not accompanied by actions is dead the tongue is a small part of the body but it can do a large amount of damage out of our mouths can come words of life or words of death choose words of life james wrote the wisdom that comes from god is distinguished from the wisdom of the world by its fruit and the way back to god from things like selfishness pride and sin is always humility and repentance do not boast about tomorrow but submit yourself in every moment to the lord's will do not slander one another do not grumble against one another and by doing so place yourself upon god's seat of judgment but instead as you wait for the lord be patient stand firm and be kind to one another 
These are just a few reminders of the truth that James is talking about here. And he says, my brothers and sisters, if, if one of you should wander away from the truth, someone should bring that person back. Simeon, the new theologian, early Christian, said it this way. This is, this is with regard to our relationship with one another. As a physician, we, we must take care to cure the passions and diseases of those who are sick in the soul. We should, we should speak words of life that bring healing. But also as a shepherd, we must bring back those who have strayed. This is part of our responsibility to each other, to speak words of life that, that, that affect, that impact sickness in the soul, but also to be shepherds who help bring each other back. If someone has wandered, if they have strayed onto the wrong path, that we would help shepherd them and to bring them back. And, and the way James is talking about this, this is so important. This is not us saying, we've got it all figured out. And through our wisdom and our strength and, and our brilliance, we're going to bring people back. No, all of this is completely dependent upon our submission, our surrender of all things. Submit yourselves then to God, as James said, to the Lord. Only he can bring them back. But what an incredible blessing, as James describes, that sometimes God uses us as a part of the process. When a lost person comes to faith, or when a person who has gone astray is found. In fact, the, the word for wander that's used there in, in verse 19, it's used in the passive tense. And, and what that means is, it could mean somebody who has knowingly gone astray, or it could also mean someone who has been led astray. And I think we can all agree that in our lives, we've experienced both of those things, right? Sometimes we... We have known the right path, but we have chosen to go on the wrong one. But there have been other times where we've been deceived, where someone or some circumstance or some idea has led us astray, and, and somebody has come along, and the Lord has used them to help be that shepherd and to bring us back and to put us on the right path. It is so important that we remember here that we've all suffered like this. We've all been deceived before. We've all been on the wrong path. So again, this isn't something we do through pride and arrogance and condescension. But it's something that we do through humility, patience, love, and surrender. This is literally an issue of life and death, James says. Because remember this, whoever turns a sinner from their error of their way, from the error of their way, will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Those are things that only God can do, to save someone from death and to cover over a multitude of sins. But when we are used by him in the process, we get to take part. We get to share in the joy of seeing that person step off of the path that leads to death and step onto the path that leads to life. Not only should the hearers of James' letter who received these, this letter in so many different places, not only is he imploring them to believe and to remember and to do these things, but he's also challenging them to proclaim them. Let this be the truth that you live by and let it be the truth that you speak and the words that you say to each other. This is about two things. It's about faith and it's about fidelity. It's about faith 
faithfulness in our belief and in our hearts, but it's also about fidelity, what we do and the way we put this practical wisdom into practice. As we close this morning, I want to go back to the beginning one more time. As we think just once again, who were these people who received the letter? What were they facing? James began by saying, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. I don't know about you, but when I finish my race someday, just like my friend Terry finished his a couple weeks ago, when I finish my race someday, and we're all going to finish our race at some point, I pray that this will be true of me, that I will have continued to become more mature in Christ, more complete in Christ, and that I will be able to say I'm lacking in nothing because all I have is him. All I have is Christ. And that's how I want to finish my race. And I pray that's how we will all finish our race. And just in case you didn't know, that is how James finished his. Back to Eusebius. Eusebius tells us the way that James died. James, like so many of the early apostles and leaders of the church, James lost his life because of his faith. In case you didn't know it, some of the things that James wrote about, they can get you killed. When you start pushing back against things like pride and greed and the misuse of wealth and the oppression of the poor and, and things where, where you're really stomping on people's toes, that kind of preaching and teaching can get you killed. The way James's life came to an end is that these guys will sound familiar, the scribes and the Pharisees who had been opposing James's pro proclamation of the gospel. They invited James to the temple to be a guest speaker. He thought he was going to be given the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And they said, James, we want you to go up to the highest place in the temple. Go up to the top of the parapet, and there you can preach. But as he took his place at the top, they just started throwing accusations out. You're misleading people. You're leading people astray, using some of the language that James uses here at the end of the letter. And James takes their accusations, and rather than defending himself, he just starts proclaiming the gospel. He got about three sentences out, and people in the crowd started shouting, Hosanna to the God of, of Jacob. Hosanna to the son of David. People were responding to the gospel. The scribes and the Pharisees would have none of it. And so they sent somebody up to the top of the parapet where James was speaking, and they pushed him off. And James fell several stories to the ground, but he was still alive. And as he lay on the ground, he kept speaking. He kept proclaiming. He kept praying. Until somebody came with a big piece of wood, and they brought his physical life to an end. That's how James finished his race, according to church history. All of us will finish our race at some point, too. May it be true of us that when that time comes, we will be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. 
Jesus Christ is the only way to life for those who are lost or have wandered from the truth. So let's come to him and let us bring others to him. Let's pray together. Lord, I am filled this morning with joy because of the blessing that this book of the New Testament has been in our lives. I thank you for James, for the way that you used him in writing this letter, in, in leading so many in faith, and leading the church in Jerusalem, and proclaiming the gospel, and all the way into the end, according to what we read, finishing his race faithfully. I pray, Lord, that we would be challenged and convicted, and Lord, we thank you for the wisdom that comes from heaven, the godly wisdom we've had from this letter all summer long. Pray, Lord, that you would continue to bring these words to mind, that we might be faithful in living lives that honor you, bring glory to you. And Lord, may we proclaim these things so that others might find the life that we have in you. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray.